0: Shares for beginners.
1: Is this an industry that will make money again? Will there be new demand for this commodity such that at some point they need, there needs to be an incentive price? Will the incentive price be much higher than what it is now? And is that in the price, in the share price or not, right? It's not in the share price. Things are cyclical. So when you see those kind of conditions, which is when I like to buy these things, like very opportunistically, you might be early, right? The pain might last longer and longer than you expect, right? G'day and welcome back to
2: Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello, And today we're just having a little bit of departure from normal programming in that we're going to be looking at an overall sector, which is the mining sector. And joining me today is Matthew Hodge from Morningstar Australia. So welcome back to the podcast, Matthew.
1: Uh, Thanks for having me.
2: So Matthew is the Director of Equity Research Australia and New Zealand for Morningstar Australasia. But you've come from previously from a mining background where you've researched and analysed the mining sector, haven't you?
1: That's right. That's right. My original background was uh, mining engineering, which uh, it took me less than a year to figure out that wasn't my future. And from there, I've basically... Been involved in mostly mining stocks and basically covered mining stocks for uh, twenty years now. Mm. Yeah. So,
2: how important is mining as a sector to Australia in the economy?
1: Yeah. So it's obviously uh, um, um, our major exporter, right? And it's important for our currency and all sorts of things, right? Like a lot of our wealth comes from the uh, the wealth that's generated with mining and our our purchasing power globally. You know, for investors, it's a really big part of the. The index, Australia's index is really weird. It's roughly between resources and banks. That's about half of it. You compare that to, say, the US. Very, very different makeup of sectors, right? Yeah, with much
2: more technology in the US, obviously. If
1: you are a fund manager in Australia, you have to have a view, right? And and in the US, it's just a few percent. You can wholly ignore the sector.
2: Mm. You just mentioned about how important it is for our purchasing power Overseas, Mm. I remember during the global financial crisis that everyone was waiting for a calamity here in Australia. Mm. And in fact, our terms of trade were more stronger than at any other time in history. Mm. How how does it help Australia insulate itself from these global tidal forces?
1: Well, I I think that that was a certain set of circumstances, right? Like, hmm. I guess Australia was less deep into the subprime rubbish. You know, mm-hmm. there was a bit floating around, like some of the banks had some of this stuff sitting on the balance sheet, which was utterly ridiculous. They should be just in the business of making home loans, right? Yeah, yeah. But what really helped out there was that China wanted to stimulate its own economy, and we rode off the back of that, right? So... so. I wouldn't necessarily conclude that like mining is some stabilizing factor, it tends to be a very cyclical sector, but it just so happened that our major trading partner stimulated at that time and that drew a lot of demand for commodities that otherwise would not have been there.
2: Mm. So it's really changed, hasn't it? Because mining stocks have become a dividend stock as well, or a dividend um, play. Whereas in the past, they were never considered something that you'd be looking for dividends from.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's an interesting point, right? So historically, when commodity prices have been good, um, when cash flows and profits have been good, mining companies have been wonderful at going out and spending all of that, right? So like Rio Tinto in the decade ended 2015, had no net cash flow, right? So just every dollar it made plowed back in the ground, right? And they blew up a lot of money. So that that's more of the history of uh, of the mining sector, right? They tend to invest when prices are high. They tend to make acquisitions when prices are high. In the last, uh, since 2015, when they got a big fright, when China turned down, they kind of found religion around you know, having a strong balance sheet, which I think is really important when things are so so cyclical. And just returning cash to shareholders. It's, it's harder to make a mistake when you do that, right? I think the risk is that over the long term, you kind of don't pay enough attention to your growth opportunities and you're kind of drawing down on that, right? But generally it's vastly preferable to some of the actions that have been undertake, undertaken by the sector in the past. That said, this is not... Telstra or a railway stock or a pipeline or a toll road, right? Like this is not steady cash flows, right? It just is fortunate that demand really thanks to China and basically China alone has been so strong for commodities, which has underpinned high prices, which has given them the cash flows to give these fat dividends. The the fact that the dividends are so fat, is also a function of the market doesn't think these these kind of profit levels are going to last. If they did, the, the prices would be higher and the yields would be less.
2: So I really want to start discussing what the size and the shape of the sector is. Now, let's go right down to the tiny, tiny end, you know, where we often hear a little tip in a pub about uh, this mining stock is going to take off. What what are those kind of companies and how should listeners view those kind of companies?
1: I remember, I think it was like 2006 or and and my mum recommended to me an exploration stock and I thought, this market's pretty toppy. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the most use of the taxi driver tips is kind of like a gauge of how Ah, uh,
2: <laughs> how much hype there is around it! Yeah, like how
1: how high the market is, right? So mm-hmm. I I tend to try to look for little milestones along the road, uh, and that that would be one. So uh, my, my inclination—it's sure—it's interesting. I have the conversation, but my inclination uh, from a conversation like that would be to come away and think, you know, things might be getting a bit too hyped, especially if you get a lot of people talking about shares and a lot of people interested in that, which definitely happens from time to time with the mining stocks.
2: Mm. So what are those kind of companies like? I mean, are we talking about a guy with a shovel and a hole in the ground? Is that the kind of size we're looking at or a geologist um, taking some sort of samples? Well, how does it work?
1: It's, it's the whole range from, you know, someone's got some leases and an idea and they want to raise some money and, and uh, do some sampling. And that's typically how things start. They've got some targets. They want to test those targets. They raise some money and, and people will ultimately drill test those targets right at the very very early stage you know that probably appeals to the innate sense of gambling that australians seem to have most of these companies will fail very very few companies will ever find anything and even fewer will actually go on to be be a mine. the other thing that you know when people get really excited about these early stage companies they don't realize like if they find something Generally, we're talking like a decade. And and in between now and then is a whole lot of capital expenditure. That's an attribute that, like, let's say if you're a technology and you've got a SaaS platform, it's already earning money and you're investing in it and you're growing, right? Or a subscription business, people pay you up front. This thing has got this immense long period where you have to put money into it, you know? And I think uh, I recall reading about Mount Isa and it was decades before it actually started making money, you know, and that was that was an amazing uh, deposit.
2: You mentioned gambling mm. and the, the, the innate idea that this can be a bit of gambling because I have talked to another person who sort of talks about the old cowboy days and how there'd be a sniff of gold or yeah. a sniff of silver. Let's put a few hundred thousand dollars in and just start mm. exploring. And there is a bit of that mentality to this end of the market, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and Warren Buffett says get rich slowly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this appeals to the opposite end of that, right? But I think you know there, there'll be a few people that will make money out of this, but I, I generally just don't think it's a it's a wise strategy for people to uh, engage in, unless you've just got a lot of money and you're very comfortable and you just really enjoy being part of that and yeah. you understand you don't expect to make a return if that's your hobby and you can afford it that's cool but i think for ordinary people this is probably not something that they should engage in and it's a bit of a gold rush mentality isn't it
2: yeah it's uh, there is that that's something in the human nature that's been around for a long time i guess
1: well there's, there's so many things that can go wrong with that yeah with that level mm. you know and it's 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 a very specialised area and you need to cover a lot of ground, these companies are going to turn over pretty quickly, right? So yeah. it's not like, you know, Warren Buffett buying Geico and then riding that for decades, you know? Like, those are the kind of investments I really like, the ones that can compound because you just sit on your bum and you don't do anything, you know? These things you need to be very engaged and all over and watching and, and, uh, and understanding, you know?
2: So the mining sector, it's not just... <clears throat> Digging stuff out of the ground, which a lot of companies do. There's engineering services companies. There's also processes and so forth. Yeah. Um, have I missed anything in that uh, workflow?
1: Uh, like the, the contractors that do the actual mining as well. Yeah, services that are provided, you know, technical services and consultants and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that the, know, I mean, the, the actual mining companies are the bulk of the... Mm industry by market cap and then there, there are some service providers as well yeah
2: yeah but they are quite high tech in a lot of ways aren't they i mean they are starting to use you know driverless vehicles and driverless trains and so forth and technologies that um are quite close to the cutting edge
1: yeah so i think you know, you're talking about, like, the Hitachis and, and Caterpillars of the world when you get into that. And that's a that's a whole different ball game, right? Like, mm. that's a different business. Yeah. And fundamentally, some of those businesses are quite good, right? Be- and, and particularly with the technology angle, you, you start to introduce, you know, an element of data and switching costs and efficiencies that the, the mining companies want. But those are obviously not listed here.
2: So what's between these little... Specky Gold Miners and BHP and Rio Tinto.
1: In the middle bit, It can be really interesting, right? So, you know, let's say a a company's got a a decent project. Maybe they've got a feasibility study or they're they're going into a feasibility study. Those can be interesting because then you can start to wrap numbers around things and start to understand what something might be worth, right? Mm -hmm. When you get to there, then you can actually, you move from speculation to more analysis, which is kind of starting to play into where I feel more comfortable. You can also have interesting things where you have, you know, certain management teams i can think of like two where they've just they've got a certain blueprint they pick it up and they put it down so i'm thinking of um, tony Haggerty at excel coal he went from XL coal he went to whitehaven now they've got another vehicle which i haven't followed yet but you know my instinct would be something like that would be worth taking a look at if not for the thermal coal price being at 400 bucks or whatever that makes it more challenging but there's some teams that actually They're more entrepreneurial, right? They've built their own wealth by doing this sort of thing. They invest their own money up front and they have technical skills and they've done it before. The kind of assumption that those guys need to make is we know how to navigate the approvals process and and developing a, a mine. We also assume that this is cyclical, you know. It's a cyclical industry, and we we like to invest and get into these things when there's not a lot of interest in them, right? So you get yourself a a potential tailwind there, and you know, commodity prices at some point will be will be better, and and there's value uplift from taking something that's you know a dirt patch through to you know something that's making money. So I think that's where it's interesting. Those opportunities don't come along very often
2: Tap the banner to go to monday.com.
1: The other example was, you know, the team that were at Equigold and they went on to become another company and now they've gone to do another thing. So there's a there's a couple of and that's in gold mining in West Australia, that's their niche. Regis Resources. Yeah, so Equigold, Regis Resources, and now they're doing something else, right? So there's two teams that I can think of where they've gone through and they've done that multiple times, and that can be worth following. But that's not typically what I would do, those are the exceptions more than the rules, right? So I guess when it comes to analyzing a project, I'd wanna know how big is it? Has it got potential to be scale? Is it good grade? Like how expensive is it to get to? Like, you know, when BHP talked about, you know, doing a massive expansion at Olympic dam, I think they were talking about $20 billion to develop it. And there's, you know, years of, because it's hundreds of meters underground, like years of of stripping just to get to the ore body right like it would have been awesome when they got there because the grade's really good but it's just very expensive you know so ideally you want high grade massive close to the surface close to infrastructure you know so if you're in the middle of whoop, whoop you gotta get power and electricity and all of that's very very expensive it's getting easier to be kind of Self contained these days, and Oz Minerals is looking at a project, uh, West Mus- Musgraves, to do that. But those are the things that you want, yeah.
2: One of the basic metrics, I believe, is AISC. Yeah, can you explain what that is?
1: Well, it's just basically the total cost, and what, right? what does it stand for? Uh, all in sustaining cost, right? So, um, I got you to say it because I would have inevitably got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well this is typically something quoted by the gold miners, copper miners. The industry used to look at cash costs and the problem with cash costs, uh, it's like, well, cash costs are, what are the operating costs? To get this bar of gold right the problem with that is it ignored all the capital costs right and the sustaining capital costs that you need to with a with a mine that could include drilling we need to drill further to extend the mine because at some point you need to do that it, you need to maintain the the plant and equipment so things like that were overlooked right so it kind of superficially made the industry look more profitable than it was and also if you had a mine that was more capital intensive than another Just by focusing on the operating costs, it didn't really tell you the true picture. So the industry kind of decided to move to all in sustaining costs as a way of looking at things, right? And ideally, you want a miner that is towards the bottom of the cost curve. That's the point of that, right? So it's like there's only one kind of competitive advantage you can have in mining, and that is being a low cost provider, right? Low cost means you have not overcapitalized, right? So capital efficiency and operating cost efficiency.
2: Okay, let's move up the scale now to the big miners. So we're basically talking BHP, Rio, Fortescue. Anyone else I'm missing out in that um, market cap?
1: Uh, Newcrest is probably the next one. It's a bit different because it's gold miner. They behave a little bit differently. The three big ones that you've mentioned there are... They're huge, aren't they? Well, they are They are big companies. They're big for this market, but they're also big globally, right? Like we are... Australia is a leader in mining globally, but they are, you know, mostly. I mean, in the case of Fortescue, exclusively iron ore companies, right? So they have benefited greatly from steel production doubling in the last twenty years, all due to China, you know. So they've ridden that wave. The, you know, the iron ore price used to be twenty bucks, and now it's a hundred, which is vastly outstripped inflation in that period.
2: I believe BHP. I'm not sure about the others. Were listed on multiple exchanges until only recently.
1: They tend to have other listings as well, like uh, South Africa. and London is the obvious one, right? Uh, New York. Like, these big companies tend to be listed in multiple places. And I think there's very decent liquidity in London and New York. And I'm not so sure about some of the other listings that they have, but they are listed on a lot of exchanges. Yeah.
2: So why is London an obvious place for a dual or multiple listing of a mining company?
1: Well, I think historically it's been the financial capital of the world, right? And it still has a strong centre of gravity there, you know? So there's a big and deep pool of capital from Europe and in the UK that, that uses London as the financial hub.
2: So there's a couple of forces acting here with our good fortune in the minerals and um, ores that we can extract from the earth in Australia and that um, especially now with ESG, mm. uh, we can be mining lithium at the same time as we're making so much money out of coal, which we thought a few years ago was going to be a stranded asset.
1: Yeah, I think european energy policy has been shown to be somewhat flawed relying on the well it's not the kindness of strange the, the kindness of enemies you know has turned out to be not a great strategy and if you think about you know japan and korea they have always taken a very long-term view in terms of energy security and i think when you don't have very much in the way of your own energy it really focuses the mind that seemed very old-fashioned in the world that everything's just in time and, you know, we try to drive costs down to the lowest number. But I can see that that idea is much more back in vogue now, right? And I think the Europeans are learning we need redundancy and we need other, you know, other sources of energy and we just can't rely on a bad actor mm. to provide so much of our energy needs.
2: Another commodity that we have a lot of in Australia is uranium. Yeah. Um, what are your views on uranium in a nuclear future?
1: Well, if the globe is serious about reducing carbon emissions, it seems like the obvious answer. There is a need for, for baseload power, and you can do that with nuclear, right? We had a period where we just didn't have new nuclear plants being built, and I think there's a bit of a renaissance going on now. It ships very easily. It's it's a huge amount of energy in a very small place. So I remember doing the, the calculations... This is going back a long time, maybe like fifteen plus years ago, yeah. and and the amount of uranium that comes out of of Olympic Dam for BHP in terms of energy, I think it was it was either a, at least as much or more than the whole of its oil and gas division, right? <laughs> so, and and for that they earned very little, you know, in the hundreds of millions of dollars, like just like a rounding error for yeah. for BHP. So the, there is immense energy in uranium in a very small footprint and i think that has appeal and also like when you think about shipping costs like moving stuff around the world it moves pretty easily because there's just so much density of energy that the transport cost is just very very small as a proportion so like for europe which is a long way away from you know from energy production other than Russia, that could be part of the solution. And a country like France is coming out looking pretty good, you know, because they had that old school, you know, mentality of, we need to make sure that we can look after ourselves and not have too many um, interdependencies.
2: So what do you see as the future of coal?
1: I think, you know, there's a few scenarios, right? But I mean, it's, it's inevitably going to decline. I think The decline will probably take longer than people expect, um, because if anything goes wrong, it's probably the easiest option just to keep something open for longer. But it it really depends which declines fastest, right? Is it demand that drops off fastest, or is it supply, right? And I think it's it's hard to get new supply going. You could have a situation where the demand hangs around for a bit longer than people think and supply just isn't there so you can have a period of high prices for coal for a long period of time right like this is a bit of analogy with cigarettes you know it's not exactly the same right but when the cigarette companies couldn't advertise anymore their biggest expense just dropped off right and also they were no longer competing for each other's customers so they just had these immense cash flows right even though the product was in the client I mean, you you never saw an IPO for a new cigarette company, right? Like, there's no one wants to compete in a sector that's going down, right? And that can that can mean amazing profits, you know, the, great dividend well, as well. Great well, dividends. yeah, yeah. Um, but the 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 thing with the coal miners is if if they're not building new mines anymore, and
2: there hasn't been any investment in
1: new mining, has has there? Well, there's a there's a bit. There's still you know new mines coming here and there or extensions of mines because. Things come to an end. So if we weren't doing at least that, the whole thing would be going backwards already, right? Yeah. So, you know, building new mines is one of their biggest expenses over the life cycle of a coal mining company, right? So if you take that away and it's just in harvest mode, I mean, there could be amazing cash flows coming from these things, right? So, like, I'm, I'm not saying that the kind of money that they're making now is going to hang around because, like, you know, thermal coal at $400 is just you know back in the day a hundred dollars used to be a fantastic price so like 400 is is off the charts. but by that that same token the market's not expecting these prices to hang around very long either
2: what about lithium it's uh, it's a very interesting part of i mean they're, they're like coal prices at the moment lithium prices is buoying the lithium miners at the moment
1: yeah so that's that's a sector that's definitely growing and it does help you when you have growing demand right so i contrast that with iron ore going forward i think it's going to be very difficult for iron ore demand mm. to grow and that's going to mean that the next kind of 10 20 years is going to look very different from the 10 to 20 years of high growth that we've had when you have growth in a commodity so there's the stay in business price right if demand is going down at a decent clip then it becomes a race to the bottom only the lowest cost providers can stay in the industry right yeah and all you need to do is get paid enough to stay in business all that money is spent on capital you're not owed a return on that right if a market's growing the price needs to be high enough to incentivize new supply so at different benchmark it's the stay in business price when you've got a flat or declining demand profile versus the market is asking these companies to add more supply here's the price we need to do that right so and and lithium has had fits and starts right like there've been periods where it's been in over supply but those periods haven't lasted very long and then they've returned to to undersupply you know or or excess demand so that can be very interesting too and and the behavior of the miners kind of matters here as well i mean glencore is a very interesting one they're not in the the lithium space space and this is tangential but i'm familiar with the way they behave right so there's been times when the zinc market's been oversupplied there have been times when the thermal coal market has been oversupplied and
2: this is an aspect of commodities aren't they that's just to do with the price of commodities. That, yeah, that, so, and this so, is really what so, mining is based on. So,
1: if, the, if demand drops a few percent, right? Like the price is very different, right? Mm. You know, the the price could be down fifty percent on small changes in demand, right? Because the the price is set at the margin. At those times because said, well, we're just not going to operate these mines at this price, you know, and we're just going to take out some supply. It happened with cobalt as well. When you have behaviour like that, you can have periods where, okay, prices are not very good for a certain commodity, but you can say, okay, well, I think the suppliers are going to be disciplined. I can see that this is a cyclical phenomenon. Those can be really good times to invest in these companies. When you're looking around and the industry is not making money, all you need to do is is think about well is this an industry that will make money again will there be new demand for this commodity such that at some point they need there needs to be an incentive price will the incentive price be much higher than what it is now and is that in the price in the share price or not right if it's not in the share price you got a pretty good chance of making money right you know and things are so things are cyclical so when you see that those kind of conditions which is when I like to buy these things like very (laughs) opportunistically you might be early right the pain might last longer and longer than you expect right but you know I think something like Whitehaven Coal was a good example the whole coal industry wasn't making money in 2020 with COVID and now you know that there was no new supply right the supply taken out demand rushed back and now they're making money hand over fist, right? That's that's an extreme example of of the kind of thing I'm talking about. But when you have those conditions where things are so beaten down, that's when I think the sector's interesting.
2: There are some places on the planet where mining takes place without the kind of OHS oversight that we have here in Australia, yeah, and the human rights, <laughs> basic human rights that we. Treasure and trust in Australia. Yep. I don't know because mining just does get a bad rap sometimes in terms of ethics and so forth. But yeah, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think, you know, if we're kind of puritanical at home and like, okay, we don't want to build anything here, it's like it, it kind of ignores, okay, the amount of wealth that comes from this, right? So it's a land use question, right? I think no one questions agriculture as a land use but if you think about how the landscape has been transformed as a function of agriculture it is an immense footprint it's it's large isn't it it is huge right mining is and and people people lose perspective on that and the amount of wealth that comes from it right and the classic i see people driving around with stickers on i saw one on a big four-wheel drive that said no oil i'm like you've got to be kidding right like like where's some consistency here right so I find it amusing when certain funds will screen out BHP and then JB Hi-Fi is cool to own, right? Like, Where's all the stuff coming from, you know? So I think sometimes that kind of ESG lens can be overly simplistic. And if we're not mining it here, right, it's gonna get mined somewhere else, right? And if your concerns are global, right, it would make sense that you want mining to occur in the jurisdiction where it's going to be best practice. I was just reading an article
2: about um, royalties in mining companies, and we, we know about royalties with copyright and music, but uh, yeah. royalties are, have become, or they have been and are becoming even more so, a big part of the cash flow of mining companies.
1: Uh well, the, the, for mining companies, it's a cash outflow, you know, except for, you know, like Daterra is a royalty company, which is mm. which is rare. There's a few little things like that.
2: No, just in, in the article I said that um, I saw that they were mentioning that um, Rio had actually discovered some royalty streams, which they were able to package up and sell off. But um, yeah. I might be misinformed
1: on no, this. No, no, that's that's true. But they're very small beer in terms of... Um, they're the rounding errors again, are they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but so... How those come about is some of these deals when we talk about going back to the really, really small companies, you know, like like an asset might get sold and someone retains like a 2% royalty or something like that, right? That would be a typical thing, right? And usually the the project never comes to fruition. The royalty is not worth anything, but occasionally it does, right? And, you know, I think Aluka had the Mining Area C royalty on its books for three or four decades a long time right and you know now that thing is generating just you know more than 100 million and and the thing with when well, they spun it off into deterra right but the thing with deterra is i think that's probably the highest quality company on the asx because it doesn't have any operating costs it doesn't have capital costs the biggest risk with deterra is if they go out and, and buy something else and pay too much, right? But otherwise...
2: So do, do they just um, gather royalties, do they? Yeah, so the, that's all changed? they
1: do. So Mining Area C, which is which is um, BHP's... It's one of their really, really big areas, and they're expanding it, and they get a, they get a royalty off that. But it's basically like a it's got more in common with a toll road than a mining company. The only difference being that price that the toll road can charge fluctuates based on the iron uh, yes. ore price. You know, no, no, not not usage because the the volumes are pretty constant, right? Right. Although they are growing, right? But Mm -hmm. the volumes are much more stable and say traffic would be right. But the price varies just based on the international price for iron ore. But something like that is, it's not exactly passive, but it's more like, you know, more like that. Yeah.
2: Well, just to finish off, What was it about the mining industry that first attracted you when you were a a young guy with a hard hat and a fluoro vest on? That's a
1: long time ago and I've learnt much since then. (laughs) The theory was, you know, I grew up in the country so I I liked the idea of a job where I took my brains and could apply that but also in a practical sense, right, in a tangible sense. So I think the the reality that I found in the industry was, it it's a hard industry, right? You know, depending where you go. And I had my brother spent, you know, the zeros building, you know, plants in Karatha and stuff like that. It's like that, that's a very very hard life. I've, and the nuts and bolts of engineering, it's very very fine attention to detail, right? And I figured out in myself that I like to see things from a higher, broader point of view and I've got much wider interest. And in that sense, I think, um, you know, being a stock market analyst keeps me much more more interested.
2: You can wear cleaner clothes as well. <laughs>
1: uh, I didn't mind that so much, you Yeah, know? Yeah, that that didn't bother me. But, um, you know, when when it's 30 plus degrees underground, hundred percent humidity the air is saturated and you breathe out you like steam in the morning Mm. you can have that underground when it's soaking hot because the 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 air can't take any more (laughs) any more moisture
2: and hasn't there been a a nexus between the agricultural community and the mining community a lot of times when times are tough for for farmers that they can go and work in the mining industry
1: well that was true in my town too um Mm. they had a mine there that was built in the 90s and um you know, I could see the wealth and opportunity that that bought and that was appealing. You know, so mining is an industry where you can, you know, travel far and wide if if you so desire, and there's a lot of there's a lot of wealth that comes from that. But it's a hard job too. You mm.
2: know. Mm. Okay, I think that's all. Unless there's anything else you wanted to say about the mining industry?
1: Yeah, people think they need to own these things, but perhaps they don't. You know,
2: what shares in Particular companies, or
1: oh, like like oh, you know, like uh, no one ever got fired for you know, f- for hiring IBM. You know, like I'm not going to get fired if I own BHP, or no one's going to criticise my portfolio if I own BHP. It's like,
2: but I mean, look, you look at the price action of BHP. I mean, what is it at the moment? I don't know. Is it thirty six dollars somewhere around there? Uh, it's
1: probably. I don't know. I don't. It's been a little while since no, I no, looked. No, uh, yeah. It's,
2: but, but I mean, it's only ever been as high as. 50 something i think at the very highest possibly so in terms of the price action itself
1: yeah it's it hasn't
2: been a great performer
1: no but a, a lot of the return has come from dividends as well so perhaps you know normally mining companies are capital return businesses like so so capital appreciation businesses i should say so that you would expect the majority of the return to come from growth in the share price, right? Mm -hmm. How's that coming? It's coming from growth in the profits. And then much of that profit is then being reinvested back into the ground, into new mines, right? And we've had this period of five plus years where that really hasn't been the case where they've just uh, returned uh, cash to shareholders by and large, but that can't go on forever.
2: Yeah. And there's been some disastrous acquisitions as well, and which is held them back over the years
1: if you go back you know Mm. and there were some that they looked at which didn't go through and if they had it would have been even more disastrous you know Mm. so um you know sometimes they've been lucky to miss out on some of their plans not coming to fruition but you know by and large the industry has been very disciplined i think for the mining companies for the big mining companies are so reliant on iron ore outside of glencore but bhp rio fortescue i think iron ore They must be looking at how much earnings have come from iron ore and going, how do we fill that, right? And I think that's part of the motivation to take over something like OS Minerals. Those miners want to have forward-facing commodities, you know, commodities that are likely to benefit from uh, green energy. And I think that's part of the motivation. But the risk here is that you have likely materially declining earnings from iron ore.
2: Why, Why is that? Why is it declining?
1: Well, the, the price is just very, very high. Returns are very high, yeah, right? People yeah. get used to $100 iron yeah. ore and they think, oh, you know, the price has dropped from $150 to 100 These things are cheap now, but the industry is still making phenomenal re- returns. When you stand back and you look at how much money has been invested in these assets and what kind of, you know, returns they're getting from those, they're still amazingly high, right? Like mm. the price can fall a long way before you have much of an impact on supply the iron ore cost curve is pretty flat so you can have materially declining iron ore earnings and i guess part of your question there is why is that going to happen well china can't take any more steel i don't think right like they've just had this this debt binge the debt's been building up uh that's been directed into infrastructure and houses the peak of urbanization has passed yet they've kept on investing more right at some point they've overcapitalized. i think we've reached that point probably five plus years ago but they've persisted right and with the fallout from what's happening with the property developers in china i think that's part of the rot right mm. you know so i think that's a, what happened this time last year i think is meaningfully with, with you know china evergrande so i think that's potentially the turning point we might look back on that and say it's a turning point and this is the first year we've had we've had uh imports from china be down materially right and is it a trend right and it you know, one year doesn't doesn't mean too much, but if it, you know, next year's down and the year after that's down, I mean, I think then you start to see a trend, right? And the other thing is, is they've got they've got this huge amount of steel's not it's not burned or used; it hangs around, right? It hangs around in cars, it hangs around in buildings, it hangs around in uh, trucks and things. So at some point, those things reach the end of their useful life, and then they go back in the the furnace again, right? And recycled, but, yeah. But instead of making mm. You know, steel from iron ore, you make more steel from steel. Mm. Um, at some point it becomes circular, like the US is basically a circular economy, it's not a huge amount of new steel that gets made and that's Well, wow, really. I never
2: never realized that. No,
1: really. mostly recycled. So that's the future and recycling's big in Europe too. So mm. that's the future for iron ore. So if you take away growth at the, the steel production level, so instead of having a doubling in the last twenty years, it's flat. And then you've got more scrap. Okay, that equates to declining demand for iron ore, right? That takes the price tension right out. You don't Mm. need the incentive price anymore. We've had incentive prices in iron ore for the last 15 plus 20 years. And that's underpinned amazing returns for that business. So if those conditions go away, and I think that's what's likely, then these big miners are looking at a gaping hole to fill in their earnings, right? And copper is part of it but it's just not big enough you know the sheer size of the profit pool in iron ore copper is not going to be big enough to fill the hole
2: even though it's going to become much more expensive in the future by presumably if it's we're all going to be driving evs and much more electrification
1: yeah some of the work that we've done suggests that the oems so like the bmws of the world right so the the car manufacturers they will be re-engineering the architecture of electric cars such that they'll use a similar or perhaps even a little bit less copper than a conventional car, right? And the the separation of the electricity part from the control, because at the moment, it's all one, right? So the wires carry both electricity and signal. Yeah. So you separate those two out and you have two separate systems and the amount of copper that you need halves. So there's always been in mining this tension between technology and efficiency, which drives you to use less and less versus uh, overall increase in demand, right? So we think the odds actually are that uh, people are overestimating how important ev story is going to be to copper and the other thing when you see these bullish demand forecasts for copper is china is the big piece right it's way more than half and copper looks similar to iron ore in terms of demand right so it goes into housing you know copper pipe and and wiring mm. and it goes into infrastructure you know it goes into power cables and things like that so it, the, the, there is some consumption, but a lot of the drivers are investment, which is actually quite similar to iron ore, more similar than what people think. So, Fantastic. Yeah.
2: Matthew Hodge, thanks very much for joining me today. Pleasure. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners
0: is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation.
2: And thank you for listening to my podcast.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,